diagnosis of autoimmune encephalitis. This is going to be a fun, fun topic. <laughs> Just a quick disclaimer, I am not a medical professional, but I am a patient who has lived with autoimmune encephalitis for quite a while, so this is going to be a layman's perspective on diagnosis based on my own personal journey. Getting to the bottom of the sometimes vague neuropsychiatric symptoms that encephalitis patients often have can be one of the most challenging, grueling aspects of the whole picture. At least for me it was. My symptoms started with a flu-like illness in 2014, and for five whole years I had very little idea of what was going on with me. Uh, I did see multiple doctors during that time as an outpatient, and none, none of them really provided any sort of <laughs> concrete answers. Uh, I saw an, one neurologist fairly early on, and he did order an EEG, but that came back completely clear, and he just kind of concluded that I should continue on with the antidepressants that my GP had been trialing me on at the time. And then next there came the internist, who did quite an extensive history on me and also concluded that I was probably just depressed and concluded his consultation report back to my GP saying that maybe I should just kind of do yoga and get more stimulation going on in my life. And then my life from there just kind of became this directionless mess. <laughs> uh, up till that point I had been essentially like a straight A student. Um, volunteered, I was pretty active uh, socially, and like I had captained a soccer team the summer before I got sick. And then after 2014, like I, I dropped out of school twice. I tried to go back once, but it, it just wasn't happening. I was so exhausted and I couldn't keep up with, with any of it. I tried my best to hold down some odd jobs kind of here and there, but like my life radically just changed direction. And unfortunately, like I've heard similar stories to mine where people are just kind of brushed off and easily given a psychiatric label such as like bipolar disorder. And Dr. Stephen Rush of the University of Cincinnati, he gave a great presentation to the AE Alliance, you can find it on their website, and stated that up to 75% of autoimmune encephalitis patients see a psychiatrist or a psychologist first for symptoms that seem like a psychiatric disorder. And many people, especially on the more severe side of things, they can end up essentially tied down in a psychiatric ward without much in the way of further investigation. The sobering reality, at least from my perspective, where I've seen over 10 neurologists at this point, uh, is that unless you seek out a very specific specialist, you can find some on aealliance.org, you have to get pretty darn lucky to end up with a doctor that will do a proper workup for autoimmune encephalitis. And like, Unless you end up with the most classic, kind of severe presentation of anti-NMDA receptor encephalitis, where you're not only having like psychotic episodes, but you're also having seizures, you may have you may have autonomic instability and need to be put into an induced coma. Eh, a lot of encephalitis patients end up falling through the cracks, just as I did. Like I actually started to suspect that I had autoimmune encephalitis before I ended up at the point of hospitalization. It's just that of the many specialists that I saw, they all kind of <laughs> laughed me off and decided like, oh, that's that's too rare of a thing for me to possibly have. And, and my symptoms don't fit into the classic presentation that predominates in the medical literature currently. But as I learned mostly from talking to other patients in online support groups, there is somewhat of a spectrum of severity to autoimmune encephalitis and very diverse clinical presentations, 
more so than what the majority of neurologists understand. But getting back to diagnostic tools, there are a variety of investigations at a doctor's disposal. In your blood, you can test for autoantibodies. They can do a spinal tap, also known as a lumbar puncture, and that can reveal evidence of inflammation. They can also check for autoantibodies that way. There's the EEG, also known as electroencephalogram, as I briefly mentioned earlier, and that can check for electrical dysfunction in the brain or seizure activity. And as far as imaging modalities, typically they'll do an MRI, which can rule out other diagnoses like tumors. Now, essentially all of those things for me were more or less normal. I did find out later when I requested my medical records that a couple EEGs that I did, those did show some either slowing of background or fast beta activity, which I've since found out can raise some suspicion for encephalitis. But the doctors that I had at the time, they just kind of brushed those details off. <laughs> but what was most critical for me was an FDD PET scan. PET scans show you how your brain is metabolizing things, and in my case, mine showed a mixed hypermetabolic and hypometabolic picture, which can be one of the characteristic patterns of abnormal metabolism found in autoimmune encephalitis. I've come across a handful of other encephalitis patients as well, whose only objective marker of abnormality is a PET scan. and. I'm hoping that these will become more common in the future, but as it is currently, um, it's very hard to get insurance to cover them. They're not considered gold standard yet, but I'm hoping in the future more studies will be done on PET scans, showing the validity of using them as a tool for diagnosis. As of now, though, they still remain a little controversial, and in my experience, neurologists will be skeptical of using that as evidence for encephalitis when other markers are coming up normal. But I mean, I've had a very clear response to immunosuppressants on a few different occasions, and they've given me my life back. So there's no doubt in my mind that I have some sort of autoimmune process going on that is most likely encephalitis. And I do have a couple doctors on my team who, who have ruled out differential diagnoses and are also confident in the diagnosis. So that's been my diagnostic journey. <laughs> it took Five whole years, I needed to be hospitalized first before doctors would take me seriously. And like, I do wish I had been diagnosed sooner, but at the same time, that's in the past. And I'm just grateful that I found an incredible couple of doctors now who are treating me seriously and getting me back onto a good road to health. So if you are struggling along in the diagnostic journey, just know that you're not alone, especially if no antibody is turning up in your blood or spinal fluid, such as in my case. They're continuing to find new autoantibodies every year, and the top encephalitis specialists that I've talked to are not particularly concerned if they're not able to detect an autoantibody, assuming that the rest of the clinical picture and other puzzle pieces fit. Just keep advocating for yourself, your loved one, for further testing further and further investigations, and don't let a doctor off the hook if they're just trying to tell you that it's a rare diagnosis and they won't even bother to properly investigate for it. That's it for this episode. Check back here tomorrow for a new one and every day after that leading up to February 22nd, World Encephalitis Day.